0: what's going on everybody thank you for tuning into today's episode and my guest today you may know him best as santino morella he is anthony corelli how you doing sir
1: very good thank you
0: how's uh how's your day going so far what's like a typical day for you look like
1: oh man so uh i had to coach last night so i slept in a little bit i got up at like just uh seven o'clock and then i got the kids getting my son's getting ready for school and the little ones, she's a maniac. And then uh, take the little one to the bus. And then today was an interesting day. We had the plumbers coming because we had a little issue. Uh, so just trying to balance, you know, my wife was getting her workout in. I was watching the baby. And, uh, yeah, I have to go to work tonight again, coaching. What do you coach? I play wrestling. Oh. At, okay. at, at, <laughs> at uh, Battle Arts Academy, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Has
0: that life as a dad with, like, the, you know, hecticness that's come with it, did uh, your time traveling on the road with wrestling, like, prepare you for maybe the life ups and downs or stops and goes, rather?
1: Um, They're very different, you know. Like, when you're on the road, you're living out of a suitcase, and you're in rental cars and hotels, and you actually have a little downtime. Because sometimes, you know, you got to wait for a flight or you got to, you know, sit on the flight or you have a long drive. So you have some downtime to think and, you know, relax. But when it's, when it's home, it's go, 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 go. If I have a spare second, I got to cut the grass, fix something, you know, Um, there's all all these projects on stuff like that. Sometimes going on the road is actually like the break. That's the vacation.
0: How are you in terms of being on the road? Like, was it a straightforward for you? You kind of just, you know, catch your flights, prepare for your matches or were you one of those that was a little more had your fun on the road
1: I think I had a good balance when it when I started off I wanted to have a little fun and and and, then you know I always got my workouts in and and I tried to eat healthy I wasn't a big drinker or club guy that kind of thing but you know once in a while when if you got to go out if everyone's going out then we got to go out you know
0: did you have like a usual uh, group of people that were kind of your travel buddies, or did
1: it vary? Well, my first three years, I rode with Randy, and then um, then he got his bus, so I was <laughs> by myself. No, yeah, then then I rode a lot with uh, Vladimir Kozlov uh, when I was tagging with him, and um, and then near the end it was uh, Damian Sandow and Brodus Clay. Where my that was our car, so it was three distinct periods of my on the road life with uh, different cars. And they're all, you know, they're all great, great times. Because it's your choice who you ride with. So, obviously, you're going to ride with someone that, you know, you like and stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. You weren't on the bus? <laughs> I would have figured that Uh, after, you know, the time spent with Randy, he would have let you... Uh...
1: No, he asked me. But he was, you can hang out. I'm not hanging out in your bus. I'm going to be known as the guy that lives on the guy's couch, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think 10-year-old me right now, if he were to hop on this call and see that the accent it wasn't as prevalent as the Santino we saw on screen. He would be so shocked. How often in your normal life, if you get recognized by maybe a fan or a person who knows you from your time as Santino, do they either get taken aback by not having the Santino accent or do they ask you about it?
1: Yeah, no, I can see it in their face. I can see it. They're like, it looks like him, but it doesn't sound like him. Um, You know, you don't have to dig too deep to know I'm Canadian, right? But uh, if you don't dig deep, then that's all you've ever heard. Um, it, it's funny. There's a couple guys online right now on Instagram, and they put these characters on, and uh, I, I don't want to see the real them. I just want to know them as the character and stuff. So, um, but the character actually. So, my dad is an Italian immigrant, and at the time of my birth, he was still an Italian citizen. So, I was entitled to my dual citizenship. So, after I became the character Santino, I used that as an opportunity to get in touch with my Italian roots, and I became an Italian citizen. Um, I got a passport. I studied the language. I, was, I learned the language, you know, uh, to the point where I was able to one, one time do a, a live interview in, in Italy. So, uh, yeah, I definitely, um, uh, you know, got closer to my Italian roots because of the character. Did
0: you play Santino when you were in OVW or did that come No.
1: No. Yeah, I I was Boris Alexiev right up until the day I debuted. You know, I was driving to a live event in OVW and uh, Vince was looking for somebody uh, Italian in the developmental roster. So I got a phone call and they're like, hey man, you know, your background's Italian, right? And I was like, yep. And they said, can you speak Italian? And I'm like, uh, yep. And um, I said a few lines, you know, and it was, I convinced them. <laughs> and uh, I flew out the next day, like literally the next day, got to Italy the day after that, because, you know, you fly overnight kind of thing. And they do the day after that. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. And then, and then it was like, pack your bags. You're on the road for like, you know, eight
0: years straight. Wow, so that was such like a snap. Uh, snap. Order. Wow.
1: And I remember I was even asking him, like, what's going to happen to Boris? And he's like, forget Boris, man. This is, a, you know, Vince's idea. This is the whole character was his idea. So I had to sink my teeth into it, and uh, that was it.
0: Wow. So when you were in uh, OVW then, was did you still have, like, the same level of, like, comedy to your character you were playing there? No, or were you no, serious?
1: No. No, not at all. Uh, when I was Boris Koloff, I had a little comedy. But then when I was Boris Alexiev, I was super serious, like as an MMA shooter gimmick where I just smashed people and judo you know, throws and heavy strikes and submissions. It was like the opposite of Santino.
0: Wow! But you were were you pretty accepting? Like once it was pitched to you, like the character you're gonna you're gonna be playing. Like you know, you were you game for it in terms of?
1: Yeah, uh, no, I mean you know, the opportunities don't come around very often. I, I was 30, I was 33 years old and I'm about five foot 10 and I was still pretty green. And I did, this was my shot, and So I just, you know, took hold of it and did not let go, man.
0: Yeah. When you got into wrestling, because I know you, you just mentioned you have like a judo background, obviously, mm-hmm. were you fighting and training with that and that's what introduced you to want to wrestle or how? Yeah. Play?
1: So I started judo at nine years old and I did judo great like through university. That was always my life. You know, I was a judo athlete and because judo is grappling, I, I did well in amateur wrestling, high school and even in university. And in university, one of the guys on my university wrestling team, his dad was a professional, former professional wrestler who had a school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's close to Toronto. And that was really my, that was my connection. That was my end. I didn't realize there was even like schools and stuff. I did. I had no idea how to get in. And, um, I thought I was too small. And then when I found out that, you know, it's not really going to be a a barrier. then I'm like, man, I'm ready to jump all in and commit to this, you know?
0: Did you know, like it was professional wrestling or did you think it was?
1: No, I knew. Yeah, I knew. I was a fan. (laughs) I was a fan of wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh. Well, it's funny because I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know, okay, my first few matches, so my coach was trying to, he's he's from Bulgaria, he was like a super high level amateur wrestler from Bulgaria, like world, world level, and uh, he was trying to explain to me that if someone's taking advantage of you, like during the heat, they're just getting stiff and they're just hitting you, like, you know, stiffing you, right? He said, just, you know, you have the ability, just grab them, you know, Take control for a second and tell him, like, relax. You know, let's let's work. Don't take advantage of me. I'm not that. You know, you're not gonna take advantage of me. So I'm like, just take over. He was, yeah, just take over. I'm like, well, okay. So I thought, you know, I thought there was like a realistic element to it. And so my first few matches, I I, I just I just took over sometimes, <laughs> and I wasn't. Uh, I just didn't know what I was doing, but uh, I didn't realize there was so much. You know. communication in the ring and working together and stuff like that
0: right there's a lot of things that maybe the audience watching it casually wouldn't really know in terms of like the minuscule details of professional wrestling such as like body language and um you know facial expressions those are so like key parts of matches that people wouldn't expect right off the bat they would automatically assume like okay you know there's a physical element to things there is you know promo skills and being able to talk and um you know communicate with somebody but in terms of like body and facial expressions there's way more like intricate details with pro wrestling um, that goes into it when did you i guess become familiar with those aspects of
1: wrestling oh yeah so uh so Um, I had my first kind of singles matches in 2003 and then 2004 I moved to Japan and I was doing like the work shoot gimmick you know Mm -hmm. so it it wasn't until 2005 that I came to OVW and I started learning that kind of stuff with Rip Rogers about storytelling and how to you know naturally and organically get to the next place in terms of ring positioning without making it look like you're going there on purpose kind of thing. You know, there's a room positioning is really is really important and in uh making it look like it's it's real. Right? You want people to suspend their disbelief, but it's not gonna happen unless you make it look realistic and apply some common sense to to certain situations, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: From your time as a fan prior to getting into wrestling, were, were there any uh, wrestlers that you gravitated towards in terms of like wanting to take bits and pieces of what they did and apply it to your own craft? Yeah,
1: I mean, I was a huge fan of uh, Jimmy Snuka, Hulk mm-hmm. Hogan, Davey Boy Smith. Um, those were my my early favorites. You know, my my first few favorites were, were those guys, Billy Jack Haynes, mm-hmm. um, and of course, you know, Bret Hart. And, Sean, I used to hate Shawn Michaels, like I, I, as a character, you know. Well, I'd imagine being from Canada. <laughs> yeah, and, and and then when you start learning how to work, you're like, damn, he's like. Then you like you have a whole new appreciation for Shawn Michaels. And then there's, you know, obviously everyone was a fan of Stone Cold and The Rock and Undertaker and man, but there there's, you know, I was a fan of uh, Ricky Steamboat. Mm -hmm. Even guys like Perry Saturn, you know, he bust bust out some judo throws, Taz did some judo. So I was kind of always was able to identify those real techniques.
0: Were you growing up during the era in which um, the Montreal screw job happened? Yeah. So I'd assume like, you know, growing up during that time period with like that, that must have been a prevalent topic point.
1: Yeah, you know, the whole... As a fan, trying to identify the subtleties that you can tell—oh, that's real! Look, look, look at his reaction. You can tell that's not normal, you know. And uh, yeah, they got us all right.
0: <laughs> did you find like the people closest to you were they supportive of your um, wanting to pursue professional wrestling, or did they maybe turn a blind eye to it?
1: No, uh, everybody knew if anyone could do it, it would be me. You know, I, I had the skill set for it. But, you know, it must be terrifying for your parents. I mean, for me, it's different. My daughter's wrestling now, but, you know, I know what it's like. But for my parents are like, you know, this guy's going to the circus. He's going to Hollywood. He's going, like, on the road. Like, they, you know, they they just, they just didn't know what it was, what it entails. Um, am I going to get hurt? All that kind of stuff. So I, I imagine they were terrified a little bit. <laughs> but they never they never told me, don't do it. They never said you're crazy. You'll never make it. You know they they were they were very supportive. Came to all my matches locally. Came to WrestleMania. The, my parents were very supportive.
0: So now on the opposite coin of that, now you being in the position that your parents were once in. Now that obviously your daughter getting into professional wrestling, how how are maybe your feelings?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I know that the WWE is. You know, an incredible organization, very organized, very professional, very public. So she, it's a safe place, you know. Uh, but then there's the in She stuff. Like, she's coming off an injury right now. She she blew her knee out down in NXT. But um, on the other hand, she got incredible physiotherapy and attention and, and, you know, the best surgeons. And so you just worry about freak accidents. But uh, uh, otherwise, she, she'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and plus i don't want to do it she's like me she started a bit later right she started she got signed at 26 i got signed at like 32 so she's ahead of me and uh, she has her biology degree so she kind of has something to fall back on and um yeah it's it's a little nerve-wracking obviously doing some some crazy moves but it's more exciting than nerve-wracking to sit back and, and watch her move up the ranks
0: right and you're able to kind of a apply your experiences and your knowledge into her. Whereas maybe when you were getting into wrestling, like you didn't have like a direct person to kind of shed their knowledge onto you.
1: Yeah. But yeah. I mean, my, you know, even even my first coach, he didn't, uh, understand the performance aspect the way, the way I do. And, uh, but I did. I did have Rip Rogers. You know, Rip Rogers was my most influential coach, and he was always someone that could shed some light on what's happening. He was kind of like you know that that father figure in the business for me, right and uh,
0: now you're obviously in Impact and when I was doing my research on you I noticed that you're an authority figure down there what does what like your job now entail are you like a GM
1: like, it's, kind of like a, it's kind of like a GM Yeah, it's called the director of authority where you know I can make matches and stipulations and and uh, if there's a, you know, a ruckus going on in the ring, I can come out and say, it looks like we need to have a match. And you know, tonight, the main event, and that, that kind of thing, you know. But uh, I'm actually wrestling. Uh, I wrestled in April, and I'll be wrestling um, next month. No, this way, where June, in uh, mid-July, I'm wrestling at the, the day after Anniversary. So from time to time, if the body holds up, I'll, I'll have a few matches here and there.
0: Is this like your first match in a in a while? Because I remember you had the whole neck injury, that kind of... Yeah, no, went over
1: in April, last April. Okay. That... I, was kinda, I was okay. My neck was tight after the traps and everything were tight, but the doctor was able to, you know, do some stuff, press some pressure points and, and uh, relax my neck a little bit. After you mm-hmm. have surgery... Your body is really—it's uh, just tight, right? It's—it's—it's it's, it's worried. It—it it knows that there's been something invasive, so it just—it just tightens up in an attempt to protect you. But that tightness is actually very uncomfortable. So we have a really good doctor at Impact, and he's able to, honestly, in a couple of days, I was like, damn, I can wrestle again, you know? So knock on wood, and we'll see. All uh, wrestlers, I'm not going to put myself at and serious risk, you know, but as long as the body's feeling good, I'll, I'll wrestle a few more times. I got to show these kids how to do it.
0: (laughs) Somebody's got to, you know, (laughs) when getting, when getting back involved with, uh, impact, um, was that an itch on your part that you got, or were you presented something that caught your eye?
1: Um, it was timing, you know, um, up until COVID, I was running battle arts, uh, just, you know, my wife and I, and uh, I was there. I was there every day. I was there 16-hour days sometimes and 12-hour days and, you know, doing the maintenance and running to, you know, it was, it's a huge facility. And uh, I wasn't very good at delegating, so I was doing everything myself. And uh, it just it just consumed me a little bit. But uh, since um, since COVID, you know, we brought in some a new team and it freed up my time to, to do the things I want to do. So it was actually – Uh, really good timing. And also, I have small children now as well. Uh, My my daughter turned 28 today, Bianca, or Ariana Grace. And I got a one-year-old and a four-year-old. Well, my one-year-old's turning two next month. But anyway, uh, so I don't want to be gone all the time. So the impact schedule was was great. You know, it's like um, I think it's like this month was twice. Next month is two weekends a month. And we just do, you know, double TVs. So um, that that fit my lifestyle, like, perfectly, right? It's the best one. And it's fun to be back on TV and um, not just to be on TV, but to, pro- to produce television and uh, to see everything that goes into it, you know, with, with direction and, and uh, production and the talent. And, you know, if I want to stick around in the business as I get older, I'm sure I'm going to have to be a producer one day and, and get in on that side. Um, and, and I like it. I, I like the production of television,
0: you know? Right. You kind of get a little bit of the best of both worlds there. You kind of get to have the wrestling aspects of your life still, still involved, but then you also have time to spend with, um, you know, your family. Cause the WWE schedule, I'm sure was a uh, pretty rigorous in the sense of constantly being on the road, missing, you know, family functions and events and whatnot.
1: Yeah. If I was able to get that Booker T schedule, you know, like one day a week, that's not bad. Yeah. But when I was there for many years, we were doing both TVs. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it was Monday, Tuesday. So it was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, tu- uh, Tuesday, and and then you, but you you travel home on Wednesday, and you got half a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning. You're gone again. So uh, it was a day and a half at home, and that that's tough. Like like when you're only doing four days on the road, you have two and a half days at home. It's a huge difference. Uh, a day and a half. Um, at home is it's it's like it slowly catches up to you, you know. But when there's two and a half days at home, I could do that forever.
0: Mm-hmm. And then there's obviously the live events too, like the house shows. That's and- what
1: I'm talking about. Yeah, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday were were live events.
0: Yeah. And then you
1: just did TV on, on Monday or and
0: Tuesday. Because that was back when they taped SmackDown in advance, right? Uh yes. Okay. Because now I think they do it live again. Yeah, on Fridays. Yeah. Yeah. So that's obviously a difference because then you'd probably get like Wednesday and Thursday to yourself kind of.
1: Yeah, but I don't think they often uh, do both TVs anymore. So if you're on Raw, you're just on Raw. So oh, like yeah. you do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and that's it. And if you're on SmackDown, I think you do Friday and then live events after. So Saturday, Sunday. So I think, I think Smackdown's a better schedule. I think it's three days a week. but I'm not. I'm not positive though.
0: Right. So the debut that you had was—it's referred to as the Milan Miracle. Yeah, that hearing that must have been crazy for you. Like in that quick, because we mentioned about the quick turnaround, um, getting to RAW that day and then finding out that your debut is going to coincide with you winning the Intercontinental Championship. From at the time, I mean, Umaga was being booked like an unstoppable force, so. Mm -hmm. You know, to to win the to win the title from him in your debut match must have been a uh, crazy revelation to hear about like Mark
1: finding out. Yeah, it was like uh, I walked into the building and they were coming out of the production meeting and Arn Anderson, was like, uh, you know, you're having a good day, you're winning the IC title, and i was just like, no, the IC strap, he said, And I'm like, IC strap, that's the Intercontinental Championship. I'm like, what? And then someone took me aside and said, you know, Vince wants to talk to you. This whole idea, and I was just like. You know, not, not intimidated per se, but, like, I knew it came with a lot of responsibility, and you have to perform. Like, I mean, talk about being like, thrown right into the fire. And, um, yeah, I think we did, you know, we executed the debut well, and we were on the road.
0: I think a lot of people were able to relate to you, too, um, in terms of, like, the emotional aspect being brought out of the audience, because obviously what we were presented with on screen was quite literally somebody uh, being pulled from the audience to. So essentially what they were portraying was, you know, a fan coming and winning the title basically. But I think um, like you said earlier, you were saying that you were kind of on the undersized side of things, right? Like, so mm-hmm. people were able to kind of relate to you in a way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's true.
1: Sometimes when I'd see people, like for example, when I was with Brandy, You know, he's six five and massive, and people looked at him like, "Wow, it's Randy." But really, like, "Hey, what's up, Santino?" Like, like, like I'm one of them. And it was actually really cool that I got to get that experience of people seeing me as one of them.
0: Mm -hmm. Was Was there ever any part of you though? Because from when I was watching the product, I'd say from about 2011 through thirteen, like you genuinely got like over an aspect of it was starting to become more than just like a comedy aspect of like your performance. Like you were performing well in the ring and putting on good matches. Like you could cut a good promo. Were you ever subconsciously thinking at any point, like do we, should we like really consider kind of, you know, maybe having like a world heavyweight championship
1: type storyline. In the back of my mind, I always thought I was going to have another miracle moment, you know, and it was easy to do because like, I, I don't think anyone would have expected me to keep the title for a long time, but to have that moment wrestling is all about moments. I, I thought there was going to be a, a championship moment.
0: Cause I think um, there was quite a few moments. I know a lot of people point to the uh, elimination chamber thing, yeah. Daniel Bryan, for me personally, because I watched this pay-per-view live um, this was back when pay-per-views were like $60, uh, yeah. like, just on the spot. Now they obviously show them like more, you know, on the network and stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's much easier to watch now. So I remember I would get like the, uh, big events. So it was the Royal rumble, obviously. And, um, I remember it was the, it was the only 40 man one they ever did. And it came down, um, where they did the whole fake-out elimination where you rolled back into the ring. yeah, That was the one where, like, obviously in the moment, I think the chamber match would have made more sense if they were to pull the trigger between the two moments. Um, I think I saw a recent interview of yours where – I think you had spoken to one of the refs who was involved in the chamber and that they were considering like changing the finish on the fly. Do you ever know like how close they were?
1: And no, uh, I was talking to you with Mike Kyoto. He was in the gorilla position where Vince is and he was looking over at Vince and he's like, man, he was close. He was close. Uh, he would, they were going crazy in the gorilla position. And, uh, he, he thought there, I, I kind of had a feeling like, so, I wanted to buy a little more time. So when he had his finish on me, the finishing maneuver, uh, I kind of fought up one time, and then he cinched it back in, and I wanted to fight up one more time. But the way he was pulling it, this is before my neck surgery, my bone was like right in my spinal cord. So I was like legit like, ah, I had to tap for real. Um, But I wanted to fight up one more time. It also would give people more hope that I was going to win it, but I was also trying to create a window for Vince to say, Screw it. We're going to change it, you know? Um, yeah, fuck. <laughs> we got close, man.
0: Yeah, I think if there were ever a time, it probably would have been coming out of that show. Similar, because that reminded me, I mean, I don't know if you saw through the grapevine. Like, recent years, they did something similar with Kofi Kingston, and funny enough, Daniel Bryan was involved where with it, where it led to a, uh, you know, mania match. Yeah. Between them two, and Kofi ended up winning the title. I felt like Kofi, Kofi Mania. Yeah, something something similar. I feel like could have been done um, with that storyline. But yeah,
1: I think yeah.
0: So, too. Mm-hmm. so. When it comes to the Santina Morella story <laughs> with uh, winning the battle royal at <laughs> WrestleMania 25, when that was first presented to you, what what was uh, what was your like internal reaction?
1: Uh, well, one, I kind of felt bad for the girls because uh, yeah. you know they've been working hard all year and. Um, you know, fighting to get this match. And then I kind of stepped in and, and, you know, won the Battle royal. So I have a lot of respect for the, the women's division. And, and uh, I was like, sorry, but, you know, there's an unspoken understanding that when you're given the job, you're going to do the job that you're given and you're not going to say no, right? So, but um, I knew there was a potential for some really good comedy and the dynamics between me and Beth Phoenix. And uh, it's funny, that was actually probably my biggest – like, individual WrestleMania moment was actually as Santino. And, you know, when I look at that in-ring post-match segment where I'm dancing and celebrating, and um, and it was cool because, like, you know, the audience caught on that it was me, but the commentators were trying, like, who is this diva? Who is this diva? (laughs) It It was pretty funny. But actually, we never, on TV, we never said that it was me playing my sister. We left it as it was a real person and even at the end when Donald Trump fired Santina Santino runs on and Santino runs off right away as if they're two people you know two two separate people and uh and that's how we left it you know we, we, we I, Santino never admitted that it was uh him playing a sister <laughs> so, so so technically Santina should probably be in the encyclopedia
0: you know yeah Technically, I, didn't you make didn't you make a recent Royal Rumble return as Santina too? Oh gosh,
1: yeah, twenty twenty.
0: <sighs> wow, just to think, uh, Santina has made a uh, Royal Rumble return before
1: Santino. I know, and then it was such a, and then COVID happened. Right? That's how that's how big of a return it was. It's, it created COVID.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's one way to look at it. Yeah. Um, what about the Cobra finisher? Did, was that more so you coming creatively with that or was that somebody else pitching it? Well,
1: I brought it to the WWE character Santino, but, um, it was taught to me by a guy in Japan. Um, just a guy. I got a friend of mine. who was in a bar and he used to have this little trick. He'd do his arm, make this little puppet thing. Like, you know, kind of like a little wooden puppet. And that was it. It was just a funny little thing he did every time I saw him. And, and, uh, Years later, I was in Atlanta. I believe it was Atlanta. We were at a live event, and I said, Oh, I'm going to try something. So, kind of during my comeback, you know, it's like jab and clothesline and jab. And then I did this thing, transfer my arm, hit it, and the pe- people laughed right away. And I remember seeing that I was like, I'd keep that if I were you. That was and anyway. So, I started doing it just on live events. And then one day, I went to uh, Raw. And I was wrestling uh, Zack Ryder, I think. And Ricky Steamboat was the producer. And he's like, you know, you guys are wrestling and you're going to go over. And Vince wants to see the Cobra. And I'm like, how does he know do about the Cobra? And he's like, he reads the reports of the, of the live events. And uh, <laughs> I guess the producers were saying, Santino won with, via Cobra. So <laughs> and that was, once I did it on TV, it took like a couple, like a few weeks. And then like, blew up people would love it i I was crazy i remember after a few weeks i would gesture that it's time for the cobra and i'd see people jumping out of their seats like in in my peripheral vision and i'm like damn like it almost didn't make sense how much they loved it like they loved it like it wasn't that it wasn't that amazing but people loved the cobra man it was crazy
0: i could only imagine what the merch sales must have been like at the time because this was probably about a decade ago um, they were selling yeah. Cobras, like the sleeve, on WWEShop.com.
1: They would bring 400, and they would sell out every time. Yeah. yeah. They didn't, I don't know how many we could have sold, but I know that we usually sold out of the of the 400 they brought. <laughs>
0: do, do you ever think um, about a possible WWE Hall of Fame induction? Is it something that you know you have on your mind, or you kind of just well, – happens?
1: I would, and stuff I, I, I would love it, you know uh especially if uh if my daughter's there and with the company and uh you know if she could induct me or or uh, or as a thank you for bringing my daughter there who's gonna be like a megastar, you know um <laughs> they can, i don't know but if it doesn't happen that's you know it's not gonna erase my career it would just be a really nice uh accentuation piece you know mm-hmm
0: yeah, I think um, in the coming coming years, depending on like where uh, the locations are for the for the manias, I know they've been going international a lot too. So like, if they ever hypothetically did like a a, a mania in Italy, I feel like that might be the might be the place um, to possibly do it.
1: Yeah, or a return to Toronto would be cool too.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you're actually from Canada, obviously. They been, yeah. They've been kind of going going all over recently. I know they just did a um, pay per view earlier this year in Montreal, and then they've been going to like Puerto Rico. They're in yeah. In, uh, they're in London on Saturday, so you
1: never know. London, England. Yeah, they're doing money uh-huh. in the bank. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for pay per views. Yeah, I, I love. I love. That's my favorite part. My favorite part is the travel, is going to these cities, getting there a day early, walking around, and seeing just just traveling you know i was a geography major in university and uh, getting to go and travel and see the world was like the, like that was the gift you know
0: mm-hmm. well you've you've obviously been in the money in the bank match before right i'm
1: mm-hmm. pretty sure
0: was that a match that you looked forward to or is that one of the ones that was rough on the body
1: no uh, no i was just nervous because there's a lot to remember and there's different chapters and didn't you know you organize it in your mind a certain way, but because I, I was able to, I was worried about my memory. That's all. Just, just I'm not a, I'm not a memory guy. I don't memorize matches. I kind of try and call them in the ring, and you know, call it live as it's happening. But but there's no way around that. There's a lot of uh, you know memorizing that takes place in those types of matches. But it was it was fine. Once you're in there, it, it, it's it's fine. The adrenaline helps you remember and stuff. But uh, um, I didn't take any crazy bumps. Weaselled yeah. my way out of them. I think
0: Santino in kayfabe was uh, afraid of afraid of heights. I think it was when he was trying to
1: climb the ladder. Oh, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had you on the step? The funniest thing in that match was when the match started. I just tried to do a jump for a briefcase, like from the ring, you know, it's just oh, like yeah. a, straight, a straight vertical jump. Um, one of the announcers caught it, and they started like it was, I think it was Jerry. It was like he was trying to jump for it, uh, but one thing I did in that match too. Uh, somebody hit me at the top of the ladder, and I slid down like, like hitting the rung. And from the side angle, it looked it looked wicked. It looked like a Looney Tunes, like a Three Stooges spot, you know.
0: <laughs> Which I think is ironic because I think um, that Three Stooges movie in 2012
1: had just come out. Thank you very much.
0: It was a fun conversation.
1: Uh, Maybe we can do it one day in the future again, continue from where we left off. And uh, best of luck with the podcast in the future. I think you're a great host, and I think you can really go places with this thing. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you.